Um, I don't think any school is in any league for good anymore. If it's not San Diego State, it's going to be another school. I mean, we have really strong, competitive schools in our league. That's Gloria Navarez. She is the commissioner of the Mountain West Conference, and she had a lot more to say. She's our guest on an all-new episode of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kanzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. San Diego State did the hokey pokey with the Mountain West Conference. One foot in, one foot out. Didn't know if they were coming or going, Wilner. But it looks like for now, the Aztecs are a member of the Mountain West Conference. For how long, we will soon find out. Gloria Navarez is the commissioner of the Mountain West Conference. We've been wanting to have her on for a while. And, you know, Wilner, why is she an important figure in this equation? You know, I think she's just, she has a unique perspective on college sports, not only on the Mountain West, but college sports in the West in general, right? She worked for Larry Scott at the Pac-12. She was the commissioner of the WCC. She's now the commissioner of the Mountain West. I mean, she's got a better feel for all of the dynamics or as good a feel for all of the dynamics across all sports and all those leagues. She was on uh, the NCAA transformation committee. You know, she, she played college basketball. So I just think she's got a great, uh, she's got great context to lend to what is a very complicated situation for fans to navigate and, and for us to navigate with realignment and, and all the stuff off the field, NIL and, athletes as employees you know the expanded playoff there's so much stuff and and i think she's going to really be able to help us kind of see where things are going i think you know i want to know what the plan is for the mountain west conference i want to know you know what it was like too to get that letter from san diego state that initial letter what are you really looking forward to hearing here well yeah i'm very curious about her plan for what is the strategic plan she's She's been there for half a year. Where does she want to take the conference? What what does the Mountain West need to get specifically the steps needed to make sure that it can thrive in the era of the expanded playoff where there's an incredible opportunity for the Mountain West or the American, you know, whatever, Conference USA, all those all these group of five leagues have now got an incredible opportunity because of the way the the playoff access is structured and and how does she intend to kind of steer the Mountain West into that era. He's John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. You can find him at Pac12Hotline.com. I'm John Canzano. You can subscribe and read me exclusively now at johnconzano.com. Get a paid subscription, get a free subscription. I always say what works for you works for me. Without further ado, our next guest, Gloria Navarez, is the commissioner of the Mountain West Conference. She previously was the commissioner of the WCC, the West Coast Conference, also in the Pac-12 as a deputy commissioner, has a lot of experience. But, Gloria, I want to start today by asking you about your dog. You told me once upon a time you had a 90-pound Dutch shepherd that's a rescue, and you walk, yes. you walk this dog. How are those walks going? What are you thinking about? What do you get out of those walks? You know what? He's 90 pounds of Dutch shepherd love. He's a little bit of a nut job, but we love him. And, um, yeah, he's. He's smart. He's well-trained and yeah, he's a good sounding board for a lot of things that I think about on my walks. <laughs> do you get that? Like, cause some people say they go for a run, other people, they, 
they just need some quiet reflection time in the morning. Is that kind of your your time to, you know, meditate a little bit as you're doing that walk and talk about what you have to do that day? Absolutely. And, you know, it just getting outside, breathing some air, you know, moving the limbs and clearing your head before you go back into your computer for more. It's it's really valuable. And I try to do it at least once or twice a day. Gloria, I got to admit, when, when we originally talked about doing this, which was mid-June, lit third week of June, maybe. Yeah. I kind of thought that we would have a little bit different discussion at this point here. Uh, and yet it's status quo for your conference, status quo for, for the Pac-12. It, what what are your current feelings here on, on the makeup of the Mountain West and where you all are with San Diego State? You know, I, with this conference environment, I mean, let me take it back a minute. My first day on the job at the WCC, the Mountain West was sniffing around Gonzaga. And that was a big deal. And, you know, Gonzaga ended up staying. Great news for the WCC. And then my first day at the Mount West, <laughs> the Pac-12, you know, sniffing around San Diego State. And so what used to be unheard of, you know, conference realignment, schools moving, now becomes our everyday. And so the way I'm thinking about it is as long as you are in the middle of the ecosystem, the Mountain West is to the 32 Division One conference, high middle, albeit, that the top of your group is always going to be aspirational. And we have policies to deal with that. And those policies are intended not to fully stop schools from leaving, but to protect the league when and if they do, to provide enough of a financial exit fee so that we can either backfill with new members or right-size any negative impact on our media contracts and to give us enough notice. So, you know, it, it takes a lot to add or lose a school and schedules and everything. It takes about a year to ramp up or ramp back. And so... I think we have policies that look a lot like other leagues and, you know, they, we implemented them and they worked this time. And, and I, I think for us, the best thing to do is keep San Diego state. And we were fortunate that that was able to happen this time. Will it be in the future? Who knows? But for now, we're pretty happy to have them as members in good standing. You are the, on the receiving end of that initial letter from San Diego state. And, you know, and there's obviously some, confusion and back and forth that comes out of it. And I'm glad that it ends in a place that everybody's okay with. But when you get that first letter and you read it, and how puzzled were you? How confused were you? It, it, it appears at least from the outside in that it was at least worded awkwardly. If you're, if you give the benefit of the doubt or maybe clumsy, I don't know. What was your initial reaction when you see that letter that that first draft? Well, you know, I don't want to comment on, the machinations that got us here, board deliberations, all that's, you know, kind of behind the curtain confidential. But, uh, you know, I, I wasn't surprised that we were going through the process because I knew it from day one. It was brought up in my interview. It was in the press. San Diego State was very public. So, but, you know, I was kind of ready. <laughs> wasn't surprised, I would say. Gloria, we have, <clears throat> excuse me, we have a a lot to get to here, uh, and I certainly want to ask about your plans for the Mountain West, but I, I also can't help but thinking that there's a connection point between the start of your career, excuse me, the start of your career in college sports and where things are now. When you were at law school it, at Cal, were you thinking at all conference commissioner? Were you thinking college athletics? What, where was your mindset back then? You know, I, I had 
graduated from UMass, I didn't have a lot of work experience because I played basketball. And so, you know, came home, took a gap year, you know, took the LSAT, fortunate enough, got into Cal Law School and was kind of casting about, didn't know what I wanted to do, loved sport, but, you know, didn't really know how to, I didn't want to be an agent. You know, I wasn't quite sure I was cut out for the billable hour and working at a firm. And then, you know, I bumbled down to the Cal Athletic Department and they had one full-time person as their compliance director working with, you know, 27 sports, 950 athletes. And he happened to be attorney. And I said, you know, do you need help? And he was like, heck yeah. And so I was able to earn um, law school credit as an externship while working in the Cal Athletic Department. And during that time, the uh, compliance guy, Dan Coonan, was investigating um, paying of athletes. I don't know if you recall Jelani Gardner and Taz. Oh, sure. Yeah, he was in the middle of investigating that. And of course, if you're a single person shop, how are you doing a major investigation while running the shop? So I got a chance to really, you know, get to know the coaches and run the daily operations while he was chasing that down. It was back back then, though. It was not, I mean, not that college sports is, you know, in college athletic departments are are split necessarily equally male female but it seemed like back then it was even more of a male dominated uh space and and did you see something back then that made you think you know what i want to keep climbing this this ladder you know i i was very interested in staying around college sports um i really liked the environment i loved being you know i was fresh out of playing myself and, you know, I just, I love the enterprise. And so finding a way to use my law degree and also work in college sports, that just seemed like a win-win for me. Although I did have a cup of coffee in a labor litigation firm, I had to take a 50% pay cut in order to get my first full-time job in college athletics, which was at San Jose State as their first full-time compliance person. The landscape has shifted dramatically. Even you talk about playing days, your early days, San Jose State, uh, and your time with the Pac-12. What did you learn early that you carry forward now that maybe helps you in, in today's ecosystem? You know, my experience at UMass, um, we had a coaching change after my sophomore year, and it was quite difficult. And the senior associate athletic director at the time, Elaine Sortino, she went on to be a very, you know, accomplished softball coach and wonderful human being. Um, she really marshaled our team through that. And really it was the first time I was introduced to collegiate administrators, someone who was looking out for us, who would listen to us. And she really formed how I think about this profession. Everything we are, everything we do, and sure it gets mixed up in the business of college sports and all the big issues out there, but at core, we're about developing young people through athletics in the college space. And I try to keep that as my touchstone. Well, we talked, it was uh, June of 2022. We were coming up on uh, the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And I remember we had a conversation about its impact on you and and on college sports in general. And then it was, what, two weeks later, USC, UCLA news hits about the Big Ten, which is basically a football-driven antithesis of Title IX decision. And... You know, I I'm wondered then, wondered now, you know, where are we headed 
with those two issues, with the, the college football behemoth that it is and, and the NCAA's underlying mission with Title IX in tow to create broad-based opportunities. Have you – can you wrap your hands around where this whole thing is headed with those seemingly conflicting issues? I hear you. That announcement, the UCLA, USC, I just being a West Coast person, it breaks my heart. And former Pac-12-er, just I can't imagine the Pac-12 without those two schools. It breaks my heart a little bit just as a fan. Um, But certainly I understand the business decisions behind it. And you touch on an issue about how does FBS football uh, continue to thrive and work in and around and with the NCAA. And you know, slightly different topic, but related. I'm really encouraged by the new leadership at the NCAA. I've had a chance to, you know, chat with Charlie Baker and hear him speak. And, you know, so far in his early days, I feel like he's got the right issues on his radar. And I'm optimistic that we can get to a place where both can exist. I mean, the entire entity that is the NCAA is so different top to bottom. Maybe it's optimistic, but I just, I think I would hate to see the highest end of FBS football leave the academy and the college environment because there's something really special about that. And I just hope we can figure out policy um, that allows everyone to thrive in this at their different levels. And you're on the transformation committee, right? I was on both the constitution and the transformation. Okay. Committee. And are, did you see enough on during those experiences to think that to, to, to have confidence that they're going to get this right in how, whatever form it takes, you know, Honestly, I've served in this industry for so long. There is good thinking. There was good thinking behind name image likeness. There was good thinking around the transformation committee. But every time the stuff or the package or the proposal hits the greater system and we have to go to a collective vote, that's where things get uh, jammed up. And either you need a champion from the center, i.e. NCAA leadership, to marshal these things through or you need to federate in some way so that the different levels can depart in important areas and make their own rules and governance. And so we've kind of tried to straddle both and have one foot in each, and it, it just hasn't been that effective. So piece one of the Constitution Committee was getting some of that federation to allow you know, Division One to make decisions maybe different and apart from two and three. And then I think there's another conversation about FBS and the rest of the entity. And I'm not on those committees right now. My term ended, <laughs> but I, I I do think that work continues. I'd love to dive a little deeper into you know the difference or maybe the different thinking that has come along with Charlie Baker and the NCAA, and we need um, you know regularly athletic directors, conference commissioners saying, hey, we need congressional intervention on NIL. Can you speak a little bit more about what that change of atmosphere or maybe the sea change when Charlie Baker comes through the door? just from a leadership perspective, felt like for you? Well, the first thing I did was I read his book because I'm kind of a policy nerd. And, you know, as a politician, he's talked about these big major policy issues he dealt with. And the two that really stuck with me was the healthcare portal in Boston around COVID and, you know, disseminating the vaccine and then Snowmageddon and it hits the Boston tea, which anyone who's written the tea knows, oh my goodness, that must've been a nightmare. But what struck me about his style, or at least what's described in the book, is he tends to strip down an issue to its basic core, do the research, and come up with solutions 
that are database and then assign the right people to execute those solutions to the project. And it really struck me, that's what the NCAA is kind of a complicated onion that needs to be stripped down to the core. Do, you know, we have all the research, we have all the thinking about what policies we could do and then build it back up around those issues um, with the right pe people carrying the torch on those issues or projects or implementations. So to me, that's what kind of hooked me in the beginning. And, you know, during his tour, he's been realistic and he's been pragmatic and, you know, kind of shoots from the hip. And I, I really appreciate the fresh look. Is, is you know, do, does NIL need intervention from a federal level? I mean, is it just, is it jump the shark on the state level in your mind? Yes. And I, I think it, this aligns with NCAA's, you know, push and ask of our folks, but also I do believe we need federal intervention, not oversight, but twofold. One, level setting of state laws. We've had all these state laws pop up trying to get a competitive advantage through NIL legislation, and we need federal um, intervention to level set that. And then two, for us, the NCAA, to be able to enact national policy through the NCAA, we need some protection from antitrust because it would be limiting or controlling um, you know, commerce across state lines in some cases. So just having that safe harbor so that if we do enact legislation that we, you know, aren't constantly under threat of trouble damages and lawsuits. What was your view on the necessity for playoff expansion, which I, I, I realize that happened. You were at the WCC at that point, but that also gives you an interesting perspective on, on the impact that the playoff has on college sports in general and I would assume that, you, you know, now at the Mountain West, you know, you're thrilled about where the whole thing landed. Absolutely. And, you know, we're celebrating 25th year of the Mountain West. So we're relatively young. But during those 25 years, you know, Craig Thompson, my predecessor, the only commissioner for the Mountain West, this was his boulder. He's been trying to push up the hill, I think, as early as 2006 or something. He'd yep. been trying to talk about expanded playoff. And for him to be on the subcommittee that finally got, you know, this expanded playoff over the finish line and, you know, having an AQ system that honors the top six conference champions, regardless of your sub affiliation, is huge. I mean, I don't think folks understand how how much impact that has on not only the Mountain West, but leagues like the Mountain West. We have a shot. We have a shot. Do you think it's going to impact? scheduling i that's kind of a broad question but i do think uh any all scheduling should be aimed at getting the most teams in the postseason at the best possible position right so whatever that postseason selection or format is we always attempt to encourage our schools to schedule in non-conference to bolster your win percentage and be looked at as a, at large and then our regular season competition this is the first year we're going to be playing not in divisions for exactly that right. reason to position our two best possible teams to play in our championship game i've covered mountain west conference programs and for a long time the coaches and ad's said hey just throw us a bone when it came to the college football playoff or the bcs it just wanted a shot to be included do you think the expansion to 12 teams solves that because i think from the power from the pac 12's perspective you know, the expansion is great. We have a path problem solved. But do you think there could be further tinkering 
after expansion? Well, you know, I think we're obligated to always consider and monitor and look at what's happening in the environment and whether our structures reflect um, what is good for the sport. And so as kind of a side note to answer your question, I served on the transformation committee on the subcommittee that looked at championships across all of the NCAA. And one of the more controversial things that we came out with was looking to expand brackets in all sports by, I forget what the number is, maybe 20% or 20%, representing 20% of the populations of schools that compete in that sport. And the why behind that was, okay, if you're gonna honor AQs and we have 32 division one AQs, what is the appropriate field size to ensure that you have the best teams in the country competing for the national title? And one can argue we probably are at the sweet spot or close to in men's and women's basketball. I mean, you get the great excitement, you get the, you know, St. Pete's of the year winning a couple of games, but no one has yet run the table from, you know, bubble to final four, really, with any regularity. Whereas in other sports, teams that might have been at, you know, barely getting in because of the small field size end up winning the thing doesn't feel right at all. So that's the kind of analysis I think we always have to bring to whatever championship field we're talking about. Do we have the best teams in the country? competing for the title while honoring the AQs. What is, what is the plan? What is your plan? Do you, have you finalized a strategic plan for the mountain West given the, the era that we're coming into, you know, particularly for football, you got playoff expansion, we got NIL, who knows what's going to happen with, uh, you know, uh, athletes as employees, right. Uh, the media landscape, is changing rapidly. Have you settled on a vision for taking the Mountain West, you know, into the next era, the second half of this decade, the early 2030s? We, spoiler alert, we are going to be unveiling our, we're in the final stages of drafting a, a five-year strategic plan right now. And we went broad and deep, you know, we brought someone in to help us through the process. We've got input from media, you know, fans, ticket holders, student athletes, former, current coaches, like over 10,000 survey respondents. It's so we went broad and deep and we are now putting the final touches and running it through our governance process, but we should be unveiling that in the next month or so. How active do you have to be or need to be in today's world as a conference commissioner as it pertains to expansion? You you mentioned the ambition of the high achievers in in, in some countries in understanding that and being at peace with that in the process. But, you know, are you, you, do you come through the door at the Mountain West going, hey, you know, I need to look at Montana, Montana State, you know, in the event that the Mountain West ever expands, you know, do you have a, do you have a file that you keep as you <laughs> look at the conference, your own conference? Yes. And to your point, it is, it is daily, weekly, but the way I've, addressed it or looked at it or or manage it, I should say, is I've told our athletic directors and presidents, look, I'm never going to mount a campaign to keep you from doing what's best for you, school X. But let's have open confidential open communication so I'm not caught flat-footed, right? And even if it's 24-hour notice, let's let's be talking. So that's, you know, for folks who are aspirational. For the folks in the league, I say, look, there's a lot of misinformation out there. If you're hearing stuff, call me. I'll chase it down. That's not time uh, misspent. 
finding out what's true, what's not, what are you hearing? So there's a lot of that sorting fact from fiction and really trying to stay close to what's happening. And then in the proactive sense, we have a membership subcommittee, three presidents, three ADs, and we are scrubbing the entire environment, you know, potential ads, folks that might shake loose in any other realignment that we could be aggressive about inviting and courting or schools that have a lot of a upward trajectory and potential that given the halo effect of the Mountain West, I mean, look what we did for TCU, look what we did for Utah. They certainly did not come in this league at the top, but if you're in our platform, if you're in our family and you're investing, you really could, you know, have a lot of success and a lot of really like a shot in the arm to your upward trajectory. And so we're constantly looking at who might fit that model that if we lost, you know, more than one school in this round that we could add that might fill out the family, so to speak. So it's all facets of it and just constantly keeping that on the front burner. So help me with my math here, but four, you had four years at UMass and how many years uh, were you at Oklahoma? Three. With Joe. So seven years on the other side of the Rockies is, is the rest of your uh, adult life has been spent <laughs> in the West, right? Not it, just in the West, in the Bay Area. In the Bay Area. <laughs> so yeah. you're, I'm curious, what this, you've got background in the Pac-12, WCC, and Mountain West. Are you optimistic about the state of college sports in the Western third of the country? Are you concerned? What, what do you see as necessary for the whole product to thrive? Um, I'm optimistic, but I'm an optimist by nature. So I generally look on the brighter side. Um, but I do feel with the exception of the Pac-12 and UCLA and USC, the Rockies has been a little bit of geographic barrier for us and really help create some stability. A lot of the schools and commissioners I know in the East Coast are so close to each other that you know it's a little bit easier to look at a school and say, hey, they could come over here quite easily. Um, I, I do think in the short term, I'm optimistic and you know excited for the Pac-12 when they get their media deal done and they're waiting for all the right reasons. Uh, from what I've read, I, I don't have any insider information. Um, but Nobody I does. I hope that brings stability, at least for the next, you know, term of the contract. And so we can all take a deep breath. But um, certainly the media market's not ideal right now. And it's it's having its ripple effect into our space. You did a lot of important things when you were with the Pac-12. And I recently was talking with some coaches and administrators about the China initiative and the teams going overseas. And they brought up the UCLA visit and the players who unfortunately got into some trouble with shoplifting or were arrested. And they said, you need to ask Gloria about that because she was key in making sure that those players got home and that everything got settled. And what was that like for you to suddenly pivot from being a college uh, commissioner, deputy commissioner and administrator, and all of a sudden your law degree is kind of playing a role in the background and you're basically just trying to get uh, some athletes home? That, yeah, it was it was surreal. We I was part of a small advanced team that was with UCLA and Hangzhou well before the greater bulk of our travel party and uh, had shown up, and that happened. And I I spent I think forty eight hours around or just outside the Chinese jail in the, this little town, and um, we're very thankful for partnerships with Alibaba and Trail Runner who helped us navigate, but that certainly was one of the more challenging 
um, things I've ever had to deal with. It was it was surreal for sure. Did you take any lessons from your time with Larry Scott that you have applied to being a conference commissioner? Absolutely. I, you know, I was part of Larry Scott's first leadership team and he gave me an opportunity that most wouldn't. I was the only woman who was the main liaison at a P5 conference for uh, men's basketball. And, you know, remember in those early days we landed, not we, I wasn't part of the media deal at that time, but the, you know, this record-breaking media deal, we expanded the league by two schools. We created a football champ game and started a network. Um, it was really, I learned a ton about the external arts in conference work from Larry and, and the leadership team. I mean, Danette Layton, the C chief marketing officer who's now the head of the Women's Sports Foundation. I learned a lot from her about, you know, marketing with authenticity, authenticity, what we do in college sports. I have three daughters. You are the first Latina commissioner in Division One. I have to let's go back to your upbringing. Father Hispanic, mother um, Filipina, as I remember. Filipina Irish. Okay, and I, I have to know: Did you say to them, "I want to grow up. I want to be a conference commissioner. I want, I want to be the first woman." Like, help us out. Those of us who are raising young daughters, uh, how do, <laughs> how does one raise a strong young daughter who's confident and 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 uh, does something like you've done? Well, you know, I, I credit my dad for letting me chase sports. You know, there was a side of my family that didn't understand girls playing sports. Why would you jeopardize your body or physical ability to work, you know, by a frivolous activity? He was at every practice, every game. He caught countless pitches uh, when I was trying to be a softball pitcher and bruised his hands, nicked up his shins and, he was just in it to win it. And I don't think we ever talked about, you know, limits or being female. He was just there and was my biggest support and cheerleader. But, you know, drove me up to Alameda to compete on an AAU basketball team. That was before there was like one every two blocks, you know, and, and it was, for me, it was just fun. He really was behind me and, you know, all the data shows, Women who play sports at no matter what level are more likely to end up in the C-suite because you learn to fall down, get back up, go head to head, not take it personally. And I, I just think sports does that, which is why I love this profession. I mean, college sports is so unique in the world. Being able to get a degree and compete at one of the highest levels, it's, it's just a real special thing. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, most important question of the day. Have you, have you seen Barbie? No, but we were just at our football media day at Circa and they had this huge Barbie promotion at the pool and everything. And I'm very excited to see it. What don't fans and media understand about your job, the, the job of a commissioner? Cause people ask me, what do you do for the rest of your day? You host a radio show. You're right. Like, you know, tell us what people don't get with you. You know, it's funny. I say this all the time. People don't understand how much legitimate authority we as conference commissioners don't have. Very rarely <laughs> can I pound the table and say, this is how it should be. Nine times out of 10, I have to get consensus or a vote of our athletic directors, our joint council, or depending on whatever the issue is, all of our president's board of director. My sliver of legitimate responsibility is pretty narrow. <laughs> 
Well, and and the big issues are with your board, and you don't get to pick your board, right? I mean, yeah. you you're inheriting your board, and so you've got to contort's the wrong word, but you've got to basically navigate through and around them. I would imagine in some circumstances or some ways or with them for sure to get stuff done, even when you don't have consensus. Yeah. And when you don't have consensus, it's about finding the solution that you can at least get a majority that's, that serves the best interests of the schools and the student athletes of the Mountain West. And, you know, it's the meeting outside the meeting, as we talk about that a lot of that work is, um, trying to broker and negotiate what is the best way for the Mountain West or whatever league to go forward. You know, I, I still hear from San Diego State fans on a daily basis who who want to know what's going to happen. What do you say to your name? You're out walking your dog and they say, hey, uh, you know, Ms. Navarez, I know you live down the street. You're the Mountain West commissioner. You know, is San Diego State in the Mountain West for good or not? Is there a simple answer to that is, you know, in, in your world? Well, I would say Gomez, that's my dog. Um, I don't think any school is in any league for good anymore. If it's not San Diego State, it's going to be another school. I mean, we have really strong, competitive schools in our league. And so I, I think it's just a matter of time before we're probably dealing with this again, which is why the work about how do we, uh, who is our next crop of schools or who are, you know, the next iteration of the Mountain West is really important and has to be ongoing. We can't be reactive. We have to anticipate that. I four six months from now we could be having a different issue around conference expansion. Well, what do you think? Do, can you hazard a best guess on the next iteration of major college football, whether it's just FBS or Power Five? Do you subscribe to the theory that eventually it's going to just be uh, like an upper division and a lower division, like they have in English soccer? Do you see some other? course that this is going to take um well i hope and i don't think the course is complete divorce in other words the highest levels of football taking their ball and going home splintering off or uh ending up uh treating athletes as employees because what i've heard from inside the room is i think there's an agreement that's not the best for schools or college athletics or even splitting off college football when the rest of the sports in a school still compete in the NCAA, right? There's a lot of inequity and difficulty at the academy level with regard to some of that. So what, but uh, well, I hope and anticipate is some, some substantive change in how we govern the different football levels in an NCAA environment. And I think the transformation committee set up the ability to start that work. And I, I think there's more to be done there. There's a huge disparity in the media rights money. Let's just use the Big Ten for an example. And their new deal, potentially the Pac-12's deal, other conferences' deal, and yet you're you're competing all for these playoff spots. As I talk to people across the landscape, I I hear one sentiment that keeps coming up. They 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 will say that hey, these companies and these programs, these schools are going to continue to invest in football because that's where the big money's buried. Getting to the playoff is is lucrative. I worry a little bit about the non-revenue generating sports. Can can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, how do how do we protect the non-revenue generating sports while saying yes, we understand there's big money in football? And I think that's what is so important about being attached to the academy, right? Because that is incumbent among the mission and values of the schools in our system 
that, you know, and Title IX certainly helps that when it comes from a gender perspective, but we've had a lot of schools that pride themselves on having broad-based programs that, you know, while revenue drives competitiveness in some sport, I think our schools really understand the benefit of non-revenue sports to the development of young people in their uh, populations. And so I do like the idea that the NCAA is currently going to market with their media deals, both combined all championships in one bucket, but also separated to see if there are other um, abilities to monetize or free up some of those different sport verticals to explore better revenue or more sponsorship or um, different uh, ways to monetize those verticals, because I do think there is revenue to be had in those areas if we can just kind of align between behind a national championship. Gloria, before we let go, we we have a question we ask all our guests. Uh, although I think I'm not sure we asked Bill Walton because I don't remember having a chance to ask any questions. <laughs> you didn't have a chance to ask for sure. No, uh, <laughs> but what, what is the best advice you have ever received? Career advice or could be personal advice, career advice, whatever. Um, you know, the best advice came from Robin Harris, who's commissioner of the Ivy League. When I first got the job at the WCC, it was my first time really in this leadership chair. And she's like, you know, trust your gut, you know, consult your people, do your research. But at the end of the day, trust your gut. You got the job for a reason. You're where you are in your career based on some good fundamental instincts and decision making. And it wasn't but like maybe a month in that I came to, I forget what it even was, but it was a huge decision and I was torn and I trusted my gut and it worked out. So um, I credit her for, you know, kind of throwing that little nugget at me. Love it. I, I really appreciate you making time for us and, and doing this interview. I think it, it uh, we have so many interested parties, conferences, and a lot of people into college athletics. So thank you, Gloria, for doing this. Thank you both for Thanks all the so coverage. Much. Okay, John Wilner, uh, Gloria Navarez, what your quick, rapid reaction to that interview? I mean, the first thing is the news, right? Uh, Mountain West is going to unveil sometime in the next month or so, it sounds like, uh, you know, a strategic plan for the future of the conference. I would Im imagine it's going to be probably heavy on football, men's basketball, right? But, you know, that's a little bit of news for, for folks. Uh, she's been on the job for what, seven and a half months or so. So it makes, you know, makes sense that she would have spent some time listening and consulting with folks. And, and uh, I'm interested to see how the Mountain West plans to kind of shape its uh, trajectory here into the next next era. It's interesting to me because we've talked with Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner in an episode and Brett Yormark with the Big 12 and George Klyovkov with the Pac-12. And we're kind of making rounds in the Power Five to, to get the perspective from somebody who's operating, you know, a little bit on the outside of that fringe and looking in. And she's got great experience with with her experience at Oklahoma that you mentioned and her experience in the Pac-12. And, um, you know, I left that interview really thinking about the playoff expansion and how it affects a conference like the Mountain West and what getting a team into the playoff would mean, just as they had San Diego State in the Final Four. Also, just the constant kind of churn that w that she expects to see in the landscape that nobody's in any conference, like what nothing's forever anymore or whatever, you know, that, that remark that she made, it kind of got me thinking and I got, you know, and I've talked to the big sky commissioner just a few days before doing this interview. And I, and I thought, gosh, you know, they have a lot of, 
Big Sky, Pac-12, Big 12, SEC, you know, they've got some things in common, but some things are dramatically different. Yep. I, unless you're in the SEC or the the Big 10, you, the top of your conference is aspirational. Like, I think that's the word she used, right? Wanting to move up uh, the so-called hierarchy. Early. So it, it was very blunt assessment on her part, but, the, you know, you, you can't. The reality is a reality out there right now with San Diego State and and everyone else who's trying to move up. If they lose San Diego State to the Pac-12 ultimately, I keep wondering, would they pivot to a Montana or a Montana State? Or does the travel and the geography of that become prohibitive? You know, and I'm kind of just wondering what, how far down you think the trickle-down effect would go as it comes to conference realignment. You know, the FCS to FBS economics are so different. It's not like you know, Mountain West to Pac-12, for instance, because just the way, you know, the scholarship situation is structured. And I just don't know if, you know, a Montana, for instance, would think it's it's financially worthwhile. Like, are they going to get enough in return f- from revenue via a Mountain West TV deal to justify the added expenses they would need to be able to compete for championships in the Mountain West. And I just, I don't know. It's a different deal than it is going within the FBS. Now, I was looking at the overall economics of the Big Sky Conference, and I looked at the 990 form, and the total revenue for the Big Sky Conference, where where Montana and Montana State play, is $14 million a year in revenue. It's, it's you know, equivalent to, like, the UCLA basketball program. And so it really does become an apples-to-oranges thing when you talk about you know the vision or the strategic plan of a, a, a FCS conference and teams that are part of it, and um, you know geography limits you. Like if you're the Pac-12, you look at what the Pac-12 is looking at as far as potential expansion candidates, and SMU probably about as far east as they're willing to go when it comes to geography. But it'll be really yeah. interesting to see kind of what happens with that. I think she's a fantastic story too, and I love the stuff where she talked about her parents in sports and the value of sports and, you know, building confidence in a young person. Oh, yeah. She's got great perspective on everything. And, uh, you know, we should have we should have probably had her on a little a little sooner. Uh, you know, she got pr- hired in by the Mountain West in, in January. We, we could have done it sooner. We could have we could have had her on last year when she was at WCC because she does, especially for for listeners who you know, are based in the western third of the country. She's got a great perspective. If you want to read me, you can read me at johnconzano.com. Get a free subscription, get a paid subscription. Whatever works for you works for me. I'm here with John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, pac12hotline.com for him. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Leave us feedback, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everybody.